Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope that this message from Pastor Jason Charles and the City Collective team challenges and inspires you. Enjoy. Good morning, and thanks for joining us for Church Online, wherever you are watching from this morning, whether it's online, whether it is at a hub, or later in the week, know that you're so welcome here. Uh, I wanted to give a special welcome to our friends at College Park Covenant Church who are joining us all the way from Saskatoon this morning. My name is Jason, and I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here at City Collective, and it is a wonderful thing to share in where God is leading us across this incredible country we call home during this ongoing pandemic, and it's a privilege to have you with us this morning. We are thrilled to have you as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. And if you'd like to catch up on what we've been going through this past month, you can find all, all of our podcasts online as well as our full services ready to watch on demand via our YouTube channel. But uh, we have been asked a variety of questions over the past couple of weeks, questions that confront us as a community and as individuals. Uh, earlier, we got to hear from Neil and Cheryl this as uh, part of our How You Doing segment. And at the beginning of July, Pastor Neil, he asked us if we would pause and listen to the Holy Spirit. He gave us a challenge of keeping a Holy Spirit journal. And then in following weeks, we, we heard from Pastor Maurice and he asked us, what do you perceive in your life as ordinary and how is God working in and through that? And then we also talked about how past experiences shape our current expectations. And today's passage, asks us a jarring question in Acts chapter 7, the recounting of Stephen's message and stoning. And it brings us to the end of what is considered to be the first section in the book of Acts called the Jerusalem section. Uh, and it's called this very simply because it has its focus on the early church's formation and, and momentum before it began to spread in what the text calls the ends of the earth. And I so believe this, that Acts chapter 7, it challenges us to ask, what are you choosing to give your life for? Some of the things we're going to talk about today are, are heavy, and they're challenging, and they're confrontational. At least that's how I felt this week in my preparation as I sat down and, and I prepared. I found myself wanting to, to dig in my heels and, and mold the text into something that I found a little bit more palatable or comfortable. But as I fought to make it so, I found that the Holy Spirit was patient with me. And it waited for me to find peace within that challenge. So as you are reading it in your hubs this morning or you're listening along uh, as Anthony and Gabby are going to read it for us online, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the text is not instant agreement. It's meant to confront us. It's meant to challenge us. It should cause you to pause and think because the biblical text does not demand that we come to it perfectly intact. That is not the way of Jesus. All it asks is that we come to it to try and make sense of it, which means that we often need to hold on to seemingly conflicting ideas like grace and truth, like peace and suffering, all at the same time with the confidence that God meets us where we are. So this morning, we're going to be picking it up in Acts chapter 7, verses 51. And Stephen is at the end of the message to his accusers. So let's read that together. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 to 60. Now, whether that is the first time you've heard that story or the hundredth, I hope that you gave yourself the space to feel the uh, emotionality 
and the gravitas of it. This is, this is not a light moment. This is not something to simply glaze over, but if we're being honest, I would say that when you think about the Bible or you, even when you think about the early church, I would imagine that Stephen isn't the first person that comes to mind. In, in fact, he probably feels a little bit like a quick extra that really only got one episode in your latest and greatest Netflix binge, whatever it might be. Heck, it, it isn't even a celebrity cameo. He kind of feels like a guy who gets pulled off the street and is lucky enough to be talked about. Yet, out of all the star players at work in the early workings of the church, Stephen is the one with the most resounding answer to the question that we asked earlier. What are you choosing to give your life for? And I think that this man deserves a little bit more of our respect than a byline at the end of a credit scene. This is a man whose life has been clearly captured by something much greater than what we would often answer to that question ourselves. There's something that has moved his heart and led him forward and caused him to respond in a way that is shifting the actual culture around him. Uh, early in my marriage, there has been a dynamic which has become evident for Adriana and I. Adriana is up, absolutely brilliant in the nitty-gritty details of the moment, to see every angle, to come up with the plan, to work out all the scenarios, and I would say that my approach is a little bit different. Where does my mind go? Well, I can't help but think three steps forward, to dream, to see a vision of where we're going. I, I, I'd like to see well beyond where we currently are, and needless to say that this has caused a moment or two of quote-unquote tension within our moments of decision-making and planning, and COVID probably hasn't helped that either, but this is something that we're learning about each other. And the reality is that we've kind of always been this way. I, I know I have. I would have visions of grandeur, of success. I would hear a question like, what are you choosing to give your life for? And it was always a dramatic scene that would play out in my head. Well-intentioned, but dramatic, probably, because I based it a little bit too often on a great Tom Cruise movie. Don't tell me that he doesn't make great movies. Mission Impossible, come on, somebody. Ready? to make that ultimate sacrifice always against that European villain with a bad haircut and a sinister smile playing out a dramatic sequence with all the movie flair that you would expect in a blockbuster and that's where my mind would go in response to that question and even in the story it feels dramatic because we dramatize this idea of giving up our lives and in the end we actually don't give much thought to it. And yet Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's in Matthew 10, verse 39. So this question that we're asking this morning clearly matters. And for us to really understand the, the death and decision of Stephen, I want us to actually get to know the guy a little bit. See, we're introduced to Stephen as one of the seven who are appointed to focus on the distribution of food and care of the widows. He, along with the others, were expected to be of good reputation, uh, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And right off the bat, it lets us know that Stephen, he's, he's a pretty good guy. And you would think that he would actually be pretty well liked, but 
with everything going on and the message being communicated, things escalated quickly. And we can get an idea as to why this takes place because in Acts 6, it indicates that more and more people are joining these followers of Jesus. And then in verse 7, it even indicates that the word of Jesus spread through Jerusalem and a great many of the priests began to believe. Now, Imagine if you were a high-ranking Jewish leader and you saw all of your lower-ranking priests converting to this faith. How would you respond? There would be a, a tension that would build. There would be a conflict that would arise. And their response began to escalate and they pr progressed from impres imprisoning these followers to now intending to kill them. But despite that, thousands of people heard and believed this teaching and were becoming followers of Jesus and they kept proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and getting in trouble. And this is important to understand because the early church and its leaders, they weren't just offering a passive alternative to Judaism. They were proclaiming a new way through Jesus, a way which turns power structures upside down, a way which gives voice to the vulnerable, a way which doesn't leave a lot of room for religious power brokers to find how they can keep control. And this is why we see the Sadducees so upset. Their reaction might seem a disproportionate amount, but they are fighting for control, a control of a religious system and in turn of the people that was being threatened by the message of Jesus. And this was a completely different way of living than what they were used to. And they, they weren't happy about it. Now, at, at the most baseline level, they were seeing change coming at them and they wanted none of it. And perhaps you don't feel particularly red in the eyes because of a change coming, in, coming your way, but I think we can all agree that change often doesn't bring out the best in us, particularly when it seems to happen whether we like it or not. So. My question is, how do you respond to change if you're being honest with yourself? I think for, for me, it has like a very actual physical response. I remember one of my first years trying on for basketball. First year I made the team. Second year, I got sick on the first day of tryouts and I showed up on the second day, had a great practice, but I noticed they had already made their decisions. They'd already set out the teams. They'd already moved all the groups. All my friends were in another group and I got put on that second grouping. I was not ready for that feeling of failure. I was not ready for that change. And I got out of the car and I, out of the, the school that we were practicing in, got into the car, ripped open the door and and literally just vomited out the side of it. I had such a visceral response, such a physical reaction to it. And what was actually causing this reaction? Well, I didn't have control anymore. And when you feel like your power and your control has been threatened, how does that actually lead you to respond? How does that actually lead you to react? Well, I would say that in most situations, we begin to defend the current ways that we hold on to power, no matter the cost to the people who are around us. Because craving control cripples change. And change, it is powerful. It is necessary. And it is what Jesus is doing in this world. He's transforming it. He's renewing it. And this is what's taking place in the early church. People are being healed. Lives are being changed. Good is being done. And yet... Control and power is being threatened, therefore the way of Jesus was not welcome. You and I can have physical responses and that's what was taking place there as well. This is on a macro scale that we see it, but I also wonder what it looks like on a more personal level. 
where do we neglect the positive ways in which our lives are being transformed by Jesus? Because we are more concerned about maintaining a semblance of control. We manufacture good ideas as facades for personal control, and we defend our position to the death. Even the idea of discipline is one which has positive overtones to it, sure, but because we acted out with an intention of, of self-actualization and control, it, it, it looks something like Jesus didn't intend. In the imagination of Jesus, it's actually quite the opposite. It's about allowing for more space. Discipline does something completely different. Change needs space to take place. Henry Nguyen, he, he puts it this way. He says that discipline means to prevent everything in your life from being filled up. Discipline means that somewhere you're not occupied and certainly not preoccupied. And in the spiritual life, discipline means to create that space in which something can happen that you hadn't planned or counted on. To allow space for change to take hold in the necessary areas of our life. To relinquish a little bit of control takes far more than simply a good idea or a nice thought. That we actually need to commit ourselves with intentionality and awareness forward. We need to ask ourselves, when does your craving for control begin to overwhelm your care for people? It certainly overwhelmed the religious authority who arrested Stephen because they had made decisions that were hurting those around them. Now, though Stephen was a nice guy, he was a shrink, he was not a shrinking violet by any means. Luke, he didn't simply throw Stephen's story in there as a bonus item. No, Stephen's life and death was integrally connected to the history of the early church. It's a pivot point in the entire narrative of Acts. Stephen, it says, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Power, the truth that he was communicating, the power he was working through, and he was leading disciples and caring for the poor and for the widows. He wasn't just speaking, he was acting, and he would go into the temple to teach people about the way of Jesus. He was unstoppable in a debate, and when the words of his oppressors didn't seem to deter Stephen, he was arrested. False witnesses were brought against him. And lies were communicated saying that he was dishonoring Moses and he was a terrorist threatening to destroy the temple. And in response, this is kind of where we find Stephen in our, in our text this morning. He gives this powerful speech that this whole situation was so predictable. And he retells the whole Old Testament story, highlighting key characters who were rejected and persecuted by their own people. Israel has been resisting God's representatives for centuries, so the rejection of Jesus and now his followers was a rejection of God himself. So I would encourage you to take a look at Acts chapter 7 in your own time. But Stephen is saying, can't you see? Can't you see how God has been constantly coming to you and yet you reject him? This is a call to the Jews, this is a call to the church, and this is a call to us as followers. God has been in constant pursuit of your life, not just to be in it, but to transform it. To lead it down a new way, but our resistance to change can make us deaf to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the crowd begins to get angry and they begin to, to stone him. And it's, as he's dying, who he is truly comes to the surface. He cries out to, 
to the Lord that don't hold this against them, which is basically what Jesus declared from the cross to suffer because of the sins of others, of others. Stephen, he becomes the first martyr of this Jesus movement. And Stephen's response in this moment, he follows the way of Jesus and he communicates truth and grace. He speaks truth to the authority about the evil being committed, but in the moment where he's being stoned and seeing heaven, he doesn't let out an exclamation saying, I I was right all along. You guys are a bunch of dummies. No, he doesn't say that. Though he would have been justified, what he does is he says, Father, forgive them. His response in crisis reveals a heart fully committed to Jesus. And even that response is incredible because some, to some degree, when I hear Jesus say it on the cross, there is this expectation that I have. I'm like, he's God. This is what he's been teaching. And he had the authority of heaven to do as what, what he want. But Stephen, what did he really have in this moment? He had this. He had a partnership of truth and grace that is only possible in a life completely given to the way of Jesus. And Stephen reveals something really powerful here, that truth is not about proving yourself to be right. It is about making the world right. And for some of you this morning, you need to hear this. You are smart, you are capable, and you are often right. But your decision to hold tightly to moments of truth morphs from a well-intentioned desire for the best to a prideful pursuit to be right. Have you forgotten grace in your communication of truth? Or on the flip side, have you left behind truth in wanting to show grace? Our mission statement here at City Collective, together creating space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. It demands truth and grace. Because if you, have you ever actually tried to create space for something? For example, avoiding hard conversations to keep the peace is not grace. It's conflict avoidance and it ultimately conflict avoidance is a selfish decision choosing your own personal comfort over holistic or kingdom healing. And then on the other side, fighting to be right is not truth. If you're fighting to be right just to stoke your ego, you often will even support it by confirmation bias and what you're consuming and then you actually make it impossible to listen. And it becomes a selfish decision choosing your own personal success over holistic healing. Stephen's teaching us something here, that truth is necessary, but so is grace. That grace is necessary and so is truth. And Richard Tan, he communicates this really clearly. And he says that grace and truth are distinct, yet they are not mutually exclusive. But when people focus on one without the other, they usually fall into two extremes. They either embrace a gospel of grace without truth or a gospel of truth without grace. And grace without truth is not really grace. And truth without grace is not really truth. Grace without truth pampers. And truth without grace hammers. Grace without truth is love without correction. 
Truth without grace is correction without love, and grace without truth is mercy without justice, and truth without grace is justice without mercy. Grace without truth is soft and it spoils people, and truth without grace is harsh and it crushes people. Grace without truth is freedom without responsibility, and truth without grace is responsibility without freedom. Either extreme are neither the way of Christ or the gospel. So, so where does this leave us? I know what I often say is, I am who I am. This is my personality. This is my approach to things. This is how I think. But this is why we need the church. This is why we need each other. This is why we need community. Who you are is important. Your personality, your gifts, your experiences. But to accept that simply is the way that things are or that the way that everything should be is not recognizing the gift of learning and growing through relationships and community, that we're just missing out on what God is actually trying to lead us towards. You have more growing to do this morning. I have more growing to do this morning. And if your response is that you are normally pretty kind or pretty truthful, great, that's a wonderful place to be. But when it comes to that moment where your cognitive ability fails you, where your good intentions crumble and you are just reacting, have you truly allowed the Holy Spirit to do more than become a good reference book on how to respond that you pull from your shelf when you remember you have it? Or is it this powerful serum that has intertwined itself into your very soul and become a part of who you are? This is why we need to be led by the Spirit. And we need to be pursuing a life that is being shaped and formed to look more and more like Jesus. For Stephen, this is someone who hasn't just heard a good idea and filed it away for another time. This is someone who has taken the teachings, the life, and the grace of Jesus for himself and allowed it to actually change him from the inside out. He wasn't just responding out of his own strength or wisdom in that moment where all else would have failed him. This is the Holy Spirit working through him. This is the Holy Spirit guiding him. This is the Holy Spirit giving him the strength to respond in a way that only Jesus could. This is the opposite of how we respond when we feel right or justified. How do you respond in conflict? I know I don't always have grace and truth. I know I can shy away or be too harsh. This is why we need more than simply good intentions. We need the Holy Spirit. We need a new way. Stephen was responding in a way that Jesus invites us all to do, in a physical way, in a responsive way that calls down forgiveness. He had chosen what to give his life for, and he had chosen to give all of himself to be led by the Holy Spirit to follow the way of Jesus, even though it asked him to change, even though it meant letting go of control, even though it wouldn't have been exactly what he would have dreamed of growing up, but he had made a decision to that question, what do you choose to give your life for? He had chosen to, chosen to give his life for the way of Jesus. He had discovered that he had all, he, all that he had been doing that all he had been holding on to was nothing in comparison to being a builder of the kingdom of God that Jesus had called him to. And when he began to give his life for Jesus, he began to look like Jesus. Because here's the thing. That which you choose to give your life for becomes the mold which shapes your life. 
if you are giving your life for your personal reputation, then you're molded by ambition and accolades. If you're giving your life for material wealth, then you are molded by opportunities and a bank account. If you're giving your life for self-fulfillment, then you're molded by personal gratification. And sometimes it can lead us to do some good things. You can receive accolades for giving to a charity, but if you're doing it simply for personal reputation, you're gonna find out that this is just a disingenuous response to something that isn't actually gonna be long-lasting. Mark Sayers, he talks about this craving within our culture. This craving for the kingdom of God without the king. City Collective, College Park Covenant, and, and whomever else is listening this morning, hear what Stephen was saying to his accusers. Don't miss what God has been doing all along. Time and time again, God has been reaching out to be in relationship with you, and you've rejected him. But look at what life looks like when it has truly given itself to Jesus, one full of grace and truth. And every morning, you make a decision what you are going to have shape your life by what you're going to give your life to. And when we miss the mark, it isn't even all that sinister. It's good things sometimes we give our life to, family, friends, community, the the church. And these are all good things, but that is not what we are giving our life for. We need to lose our life to the way of Jesus, to repent of our sins, to recognize our need for a Savior, and to accept the free gift of grace that Jesus wants for each of us to receive. And when we accept that free gift of grace, control doesn't become our pursuit. Ambition isn't so appealing, but there is a freedom to be found in giving our lives to be used for so much more than what we can imagine. But it starts with this idea of repentance, of turning around, of recognizing that I have been going the wrong way, but I can change my direction. I can embrace change. I can receive grace and truth into my life and be met by a God who never stopped pursuing me. The the story that you are living for, whether it is religious or irreligious, if it doesn't have Jesus at the center of it, it is misshaped and wrong. One of the responsibilities we have as followers of Jesus and part of this community at City Collective is to exhort, to encourage, and to challenge one another to keep Jesus as the center of our stories. To help each other identify what is truly shaping our lives. To ask ourselves honest questions. Does your faith ever make an appearance in your conversations with your friends? Do you actively have moments in your day where you're fixing your focus on Jesus? Do you see your life being shifted to look more like Jesus or is it starting to look more like that which you're choosing to put at your center? What do you choose to give your life for and how is it shaping who you are? As we close this morning, I'm gonna pray and then all together, wherever you are, I would invite you to prepare some bread and some juice. We're gonna partake in communion together. 
to remember and to give thanks and to center ourselves in Jesus. But we have an opportunity this morning. The, the story of Stephen isn't meant to shame us or make us feel bad. What it's meant to do is place this urgency and excitement about the possibility of what our life can truly look like when we are led by the Holy Spirit and we begin to be shaped and molded by the way of Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. And wherever you find yourself on that question this morning, wherever your lean is, know that God meets you right where you are, but loves you too much to leave you there. There is better in front of you. There is the best still to come. And Jesus is actively pursuing you, wanting to be with you on every step of the way. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we just give you thanks that you meet us right where we're at. That our craving for control, that our allowance of the wrong things to mold us and to shape us, that all of these ways in which we are wandering and searching and, and finding ourselves falling short, that you do not shame us, you do not condemn us, but you meet us with this inc incredible gift of truth and grace. We pray right now that wherever we are, wherever we find ourselves, that you would just reveal to us where, where and what we are choosing to give our life for. And if we need to be purified in this, sanctified in this, if we need to be led back towards you, thank you that there are new mercies every day. Thank you that your grace is for us and it meets us. And let this moment be the beginning of restoration and transformation. For those who are wrestling with the idea of who you are this morning. I pray that you would just show yourself to them, that they would discover how much you love them and desire the very best for their lives and for the world around them, that the kingdom of God is at hand and you want us to be part of building it. Thank you for the example of, of characters and men like Stephen that we can reflect upon and see how you shifted his life and even in death, even in a moment where it would seem our Default would rise to the surface. We see how the way of Jesus truly transforms us from the inside out. Lead us down that path. Give us that courage. Give us that conviction and draw us closer to you. We give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the City Collective Podcast. We hope you enjoyed that message. Please subscribe to stay up to date with every weekly message. For more information on City Collective, please visit www.citycollective.com. Or, if you're in the greater Vancouver area, come visit us for a Sunday. You can find more about our church and how you can get involved with what God is doing in the Lower Mainland. Have a great day.